0: Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, on the Marketing Operation Confessions forecast. Very excited to be uh, with all of you today. And I'll make an introduction to Jeff uh, in a second. Feel free to participate in the chat. This is a live session, so we have Jeff uh, with us today. Um, Anything that's top of mind, bring it up. We're here to talk about things that matter to all of you um there will be also a recording that will be sent afterwards so if you want to share with folks or if there is an area where you want to have more of the details uh, that will be available Um, and feel free also to introduce yourself in the chat i think the the community is something that's uh, so important and that's a way also to connect with each other Last but not least, uh, you can share some great emoticons or emojis, whatever it's called. Uh, Look at how fancy those things are. Uh, That's to give some uh, feedback as
1: well on the conversation.
0: So Jeff, uh, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here today.
1: Thanks, Sam. Appreciate you having me on. I know we've been talking for a few weeks about coordinating this and glad we can make it happen.
0: Yeah, let me start with a little intro on Jeff. I think Jeff is kind of a uh, special person. Uh, we all are special, but Jeff uh, definitely is. Jeff, uh, so he's a revenue operations leader. Uh, he's been doing this for a long time at company like uh, Next this uh, year and now at Upkeep uh he has a background in finance but also like actually knows python sql and bring that into the revenue operations world so i think we will talk a bit about how that can be used and what setup uh, we have in place there uh, but jeff is also a, um, a thought leader he's uh, writing quite a lot i think maybe we'll also touch on to why uh writing he has um, like a Substack uh channel. He also has uh, courses on Podia and uh, doing a podcast as well. So feel free. We'll share some more links if you want to learn more about that, uh, but it's great to see like more thought leadership on the RevOps uh, space. Did I miss anything, Jeff?
1: Uh, it sounds like a lot. I, I can't believe I'm doing all that, but yeah, <laughs> it sounds like great. Right.
0: Sweet. it. You want to tell us a little bit maybe about, uh, you know, one question, marketing ops, sales ops, ops in general, we often have some interesting stories because nobody like, uh, or very few people wear a child and say, Hey, I want to be a rev ops leader. Uh, when I grew up, what was the journey that, uh, you know, got you to where you are today?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I fell into revenue operations, fell into sales operations, Started my career in consulting at Accenture, building marketing software, believe it or not, in an EDI world, um, on-prem software, configuring SAP for the movie studios. Uh, took a stint, moved into sales myself, uh, wore the bag, so to speak, had uh, some failed stints, and then did well in another stint where I was a external agency recruiter. Moved to business school, and that's when I, you know, Pivoted my career into working on the supporting function, as opposed to being front line with the customers. And the difference there was, I moved into finance over at Intel and at Google. And at Google, I learned that the ins and outs of supporting the sales organization through uh, the finance, uh, the finance lens. Uh, from there, I took the plunge, moved to smaller companies where I led uh, as a sales operations leader, as a what I call the team of one. Typically, this person is. The person that comes in on the ground floor, helps build all the infrastructure, streamlines the processes, and builds the early levels of reporting and builds that partnership with executives. And then from there, partnering with some great uh, marketing ops leaders, uh, who are uh, who is now one of the VPs of RevOps over in uh, thought leaders in Canada as well, um, a guy named Richard Wasalinichuk and uh, learned a lot about marketing ops through my partnership with him and that handoff between marketing to SDR. So now I'm in a revenue ops role. And it's different, it's end to end from marketing to sales to customer success, uh, but that's a departmental view. But from the customer's point of view, it's how do I first hear about you? How do I become interested about you? Then how do I engage with your organization? Whether it's sales or product-led growth, and then working with our customer success to extract as much value from your product or your service and then become a lifelong customer and hopefully referring others to join the cause.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you have a team of four today, like you're doing the full life cycle for marketing, sales, CS. But what you're saying is don't think of it as function and departments. Think about it really from the customer perspective and from their buyer's journey. Is that, is that right?
1: I always like to tell people that it's revenue operations internally because you're thinking about the revenue but for the customer it's value so i always think about value operations we're the folks behind the scenes that enable the folks that you speak to as a customer to make you ultimately successful with our product or our service
0: i, I, I love that i'm uh, so i'm having uh, presented myself a co-founder and ceo of matt kudu so we love marketing operations operations myself big nerds in the space and demand generation and growth and that's something as well that uh, I've been very uh, opinionated about, about a look at the buyer's journey first and then the funnel second. The funnel is more our view of the world, but uh, what matters is the buyer's journey and adding value at every step. So I think very aligned, I think, on that philosophy. Is it something that at Upkeep uh, is part of the company's culture or are you pushing that change uh, yourself?
1: So we have three core values as a company and one of our values is uh, customers and people over profits. Right, mm-hmm. so we always try to put the customer first. You um, look at Amazon and Jeff Bezos, and um, I ultimately think that's one of the best values any company should have.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's both like driven from the top, but it's also something that you have to uh, to to live every day. Yeah. Um, look, there are a lot of great topics I think we 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 discussed. I'd love to bring to the community. I think just to give a, a teaser on that. Uh, you had some moments and stories around not letting the company outgrow you, how you grow with the companies. You've had some hard lessons learned there that, that made you stronger today. We had stories around uh, how man- how to manage change and managing up, how to make the case for more resources in operations, educating and, and making the case for, for, for getting folks. Um, there are also some, I think, a lot of relevant topics around managing multiple funnels. Nowadays, like there is not a single company with, hey, I'm inbound only, I'm outbound only. So, you know, you, you mentioned like the the 3C uh, model. So I think a lot of folks, I think, would love to hear more about that and, and more. Um, let's start maybe with the the outgrow, like marketing operations, self operations. How do you make sure that in your role, you grow with the company and you help the company in that process, it's not just about you, it's about making the company successful. Can you share maybe your personal story on what you know what happened to you, what were the reasons, and what now you've learned from that, and you know think that could be useful to other uh, other teammates?
1: Absolutely. So I joined the company where I was the proverbial team of one, leading the sales operations function. When I joined, the company was a little less than ten million dollars in revenue, a little under one hundred and fifty or so f- folks. Um, by the time I exited the company, the company was north of 60 million in ARR, so it had you know more than seven x, and in terms of headcount, we had just about tripled, or three and a half x, and so the complexity of the organization internally, and the complexity of our go-to-market externally. Uh, Changed over that over those three years that I was there
0: completely different businesses, right?
1: Completely different businesses or you know additional businesses, right? So you have a castle you have a moat But now you've extended and you've gone on arranging you've built out, you know an extra garrison um, At the edge of your borders same thing with us, you know, we were primarily in outbound enterprise uh, focused um, You know selling model we started layering on ABM tactics started bringing in uh, going down market actually by embedding our solution through an OEM in order to reach smaller SMBs and micro micro small businesses as well. And so what happened to me was um, I was the jack of all trades, five tool player, person who can do analytics to working on systems, to working with executives on reporting. And it got to a point where the demands of the business on this particular function outgrew my own personal capacity. And so there was this little bit of ego that I had, which is, I can do it all. You don't,
0: you don't part, have it anymore, right? I
1: don't, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's always new challenges, but I won't make that same mistake yet. That's, that's for sure. And looking back, I would have honestly raised my hand and negotiated a new level of success, which is we need to build a team, whether that team is underneath me, under my management, or I'm part of a team with management above me. Or we build some sort of lateral embedded operations capabilities across the different organizations. And I'm just one such pillar. Um, personally, I think the taking that first option, which is taking the leap of moving from an individual contributor to a leader, it's a hard one, but a necessary one, particularly for those who have that five-tool player, that you know, mul- that multiple skill set. And I do think it's important. And so that was one of the things that I've learned was to you know look ahead of time and figure out what is the overall capacity of this function and it needs to have the right level of um, headcount whether it's going to be me plus others or um, you know me among among many so um, that's something that i definitely learned it got to a point where i felt that i was a bottleneck to the business so t- um, and, and yeah, we saw a uh-huh. declining growth
0: yeah t- tell more i see i have a few friends that i can really like connect that story to so i, I-, I will send them the recording later on, but on what was this, those early signals? Like, did, you mentioned the ego maybe jumped in, hey, I can do it all, or I can, you know, I, that's a challenge I can take. Can you share more maybe on, you know, kind of what, what was that cycle and what, at what point did you realize you needed help? Maybe it was too late at that point.
1: So I think some telltale signs. Um, one is you the, the, your roadmap uh, gets long, larger and larger. And your prioritization levels whether you're using like something like traffic lights like red yellow green or p1s priority one through priority four um, i saw a cascading number of priority twos and threes that were actually priority ones to the business Mm. but yet i could not address them and so in terms of you know a brick in brick out mentality those were getting down level to p2s p3s and there was a mismatch of what the business wanted versus what i personally could provide
0: that's uh, So the to-do list gets longer, the priority list gets longer. Instead of uh, acknowledging that you're kind of deprioritizing yourself, like the, the priorities, but they should be actually P0s and P1s. Got it, got it. Yeah, there's
1: also there's also the work quality, right? So uh-huh. the work you make, you, you start to create some trade-offs, um, unnecessarily so. And so the work quality, when that starts to diminish to a point where it's good enough, but not yet excellent, that's also another another telltale sign.
0: Yeah. What about work hours? I see a lot of us on the upside. We, uh, we we should, we would think that everything's automated, so we should be relaxed, you know, working not not many hours a week. But yeah, how was that?
1: So this is a tough topic because I find that the hours in operations, you're usually in back-to-back meetings all day long, mm-hmm. and the best time where you can paint on the canvas and do your best work actually starts around three or four pm local time and the problem with that is you end up working uninterrupted but you're working long hours uh, particularly for those in those team of one situations i find that in organizations where you still have where you have specialists and you have a bench um you can you can afford to have uh better hours but you know i I posted on this recently but it's a one-way ticket to burnout city um and for those who are just starting out of the function, like I did, you know, I le- I leaped from finance over to ops, that journey was much harder. It was learning a new function, new set of tools. I mean, I had to learn Salesforce on the fly, right? Mostly, yeah. I find folks, you know, when I'm interviewing, they start off in Salesforce, and then you layer on the business acumen later. I started in the opposite side, which is the business acumen layering on technology. So um, I do think the hours in ops today is an unforgiving, a uh, punishing mess, I think, across a lot of industries, and I think it only get better with better tooling, um, better uh, up, upwards management, um, helping RevOps folks manage upwards to understand, you know, what is a great work-life balance, what are the trade-offs between these different functionalities, um, and then ultimately, um, you know, getting some help. You know, team of ones can only survive; can't be a sustainable path to growth.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of those roles where not everybody understands what the role is about. So sometimes it's you know sales and people understand sales capacity. Same thing on CS. Different roles. Sometimes it's harder on the upside to understand what's what's happening there. Before we get uh, to that topic on 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 asking for resources, making the case for for being successful, what what happened? Like when you so you had those early sign of you need help, maybe not acknowledging that at that point. And what was the outcome of that? You mentioned that hurts at the end. That hurts you. That hurt the business. Can you be like specific on on those things?
1: So now what I do with looking at, you know, prioritizing and matching capabilities to the needs of the business is one to right size the envelope of what can be be addressed. So for example, uh, we need to address top of funnel. We need to address middle of funnel. Uh, There's typically going to be you know, someone who's working with the sales team and then someone who's working with your marketing and your sales development team, if you have a sales development function depending on your industry. And so those two capabilities and then the skills are, are actually quite different, uh, primarily because of the nature of the tooling. So for example, for those who, um, so I the first thing I like to do is create an assessment around what is your go-to-market model? Um, what, where, where do you rate your maturity level around your processes, your data? And then are you driving the insights that you need in order to have great decision making? And so based on that assessment, you start to get a feel for how much of a build it's going to be to get that business up to par and then move them to you know what I consider a state of excellence. And so when I'm coming into a situation now, it's about one, grabbing an assessment, taking a look at what's in place, and then looking at where they want to go. From that is that gap analysis that we can dance our project plan around and put proper timelines around how long it's going to take to move from here to to there. And so that's a lesson learned. Um, You know, when I was looking at problems as an IC, I was solving from the bottom up, looking at how the state of the business is currently operating today and working under constraints and solving within those constraints, as opposed to, let me just step outside of myself and outside of my org, and think about someone else has solved this before, and I'm pretty darn sure I can do that too. If I just opened my eyes and came in with a, a mindset of abundance and then put in a proper focus around, let's just be reasonable and ask, go for the ask, start working with your partners and your stakeholders and your executives to figure out we can do this, but only if we have these things in mind. And here are the different scenarios. Here's a stretch, here's a base, and here's a leaner set of scenarios to, to work under. I,
0: I think I, you touched on a, yeah, on a hot point where... I do. Uh, if I put my CEO hat, uh, I have to say I see the difference between ICs or more junior people and I think more exec. The exec, they they are great at asking for stuff. They are like, oh, I can do anything. Just give me more money, more people, and and or more time, and and I can solve any problems. Where I think more junior uh, folks will say, look, they as you said, like I have a constraint mindset. Things are limited, so I can do this or that, but I cannot do everything. So let let I think what you're saying is uh dare to ask and let people say no to the ask instead of say of you saying no to yourself and no to what can be done, right?
1: I think that's interesting. That's a whole other topic. How do you pivot from IC to executive? And and what you just said there is different. Like what you ask for is fundamentally very, very different.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very. I think there is a. Uh, it's almost a mindset shift uh, to operate, and, and in a weird way, sometimes I, uh, I think sometimes exec is easier because you can always, you know, fall back into just I need more stuff. Uh, whereas, whereas I think more junior or, or like doers, uh, we're trying to solve problems, and we, yeah, that we're trying to solve problems ourselves. But sometimes it's not good for our career, not good for the company either. Um, so let's let's look at that on the on the case you mentioned. Uh, let's let's look at where the business should be. So mapping the desired state, future state. let's map where we are. We look at the gap, we put a plan together. Um, so that's one way. Uh, you mentioned as well, something around tickets and our workloads. Like that's also another way to say, look, I need a position and what position do I need? Can you share maybe one story on, on what you've done today? Like you, you so you, you have four people in your team. How did you make the case on, on, on those ones? <laughs>
1: So at Upkeep, we've put a basic um, kind of product management mindset or project management mindset. Uh, You have to have both. The first is really looking at separating the type of workload between your strategic, your tactical requests, and your your day-to-day work. And so there's only so many hours in a day that someone can physically work. Uh, And there's only so many hours that we want people to work because we want to create great work environments. And so when you, when you start to balance out what that mix between those three loads are, you start to get a sense for, okay, let's create a gated process around the request. Um, email, Slack, that's probably the typical way most folks get work requests. But instead, why don't we funnel it into a place that's measurable, a place that we can communicate out our progress and status back to our stakeholders. And so what we've done is essentially just create a log and a, a submit um, a submission form. And we use Salesforce cases. Some folks can use JIRA. There's there's a multitude of tools out there to do so. But what's really important is creating prioritizations, levels, SLAs, a process and a cadence to review all the work, and then another process as a leader to figure out, okay, how do I communicate this up and over and out to the relevant stakeholders or parties on why is it taking? so quickly, and so fast, or so slow. And here's a number of different reasons why. And then you start to kind of figure out as a manager how to help your team prioritize what's important and what's not important based on what's happening at the top level of the company. And then secondly, working with those executive stakeholders to understand you know, how hard or how little we're pushing the team and what's left in the budget in terms of time and, and, and hours to address some of these other projects. Now, based on that, if you want to go after these different initiatives, these different programs, but yet we don't have the ability to do so, you have three options or four options. You have a couple options. You can de-scope, you can cancel mm-hmm. the project, you can go out and get help externally, or you can go get help internally. And those are some of the some of the requests that you can only make if you know what you're up against in terms of what you're able to produce and what folks want you to produce.
0: I, I, uh, I really like that piece because otherwise I think you're right when people ask for resources there is an art and science to asking for resources and the worst is like oh my team is is uh you know working hard we need more help we need more help but there is very little to show for it right and if i'm understanding understanding you right you're saying you have you you kind of force and i would love to see how you've done that but you said every request has to go through a process like a queue and today you're using salesforce case for that so when people ask for stuff that goes into that queue you have a log of every request with who asked for that request and what the request was about, and then you can now like go back to management and to executives and say, "Here is all the tickets we're getting from all the, the people. Tell me, like, are those things things we should not do, like the uh, kill the project? Are those things that we should descope, like, or uh, make smaller? Or if we want to do it, I mean, it's obvious what needs to be done and what lack of resources. So it's very concrete, right? I would need to have someone here to help with." Accelerating those things, it's it's pretty. I don't. Yeah, it's pretty rare. And on that on that one, is it a uh, like? Do you do that on 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 Google Sheets? Like, how do you present that? Concretely, like, do you go in in Salesforce cases to show that, or do you do a little presentation? Google Sheets. Yeah. How does that look like for practically?
1: So for day to day week to week management, um, Salesforce is great for dashboarding.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: then for a large review, look back, look ahead you want to build a narrative and, and typically you can't do that that well, just walking through a, a series of dashboards on a, on a Zoom call. You want to put it into some sort of presentation layer, whether it's a, a presentation slide or uh, you know maybe a well thought out essay. Uh, I prefer using a slide deck for a couple of reasons. Um, it's just quick and easy to edit. It's easy to share. And then you can usually walk away with each slide having three bullets. What are the takeaways? So what? What's the impact? And then here are the risks and opportunities that we're, we're identifying internally. And then what we should ask for as next steps and recommendations at the end of the period, at the end of the deck. Um, so we'll look back. Um, usually, uh, you know, I think right now our our personal team is going to be able to help us scale for the next couple tens of millions personally. Um, but you know, we wouldn't have gotten there if it wasn't for a cross-functional partnership. It's not just the request from RevOps. It's also sales marketing and cs understanding that okay having a partner in an operating you know a partner at the table is going to help us unlock so much value in terms of productivity gains and labor savings so those are some of the things that you know i want to fully acknowledge the folks that i work with and i'm also helping us out as well
0: beautiful yeah i know that's the type of leadership i think they want to see i'm sure um, on, on that topic, on, 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 also working with, with executives, uh, I was chatting with a CMO friend and she's taking a new CMO role and she has a new, so she, she's joining a team that exists and there is a, a ops team and she, she's a fantastic CMO and, but she's not super ops driven. That's not her background. And she was asking, what are the questions I should ask my, my, um, my, like the ops team and also had another cmo who was asking what are the kpis i should be looking at for ops because you know a lot of areas on the gtm team it's so straightforward but ops is it you know what what what, what to look at any opinion on that piece what maybe what what do you have come as kpis or okrs today do you have any what do you recommend
1: so for us, we use a balanced scorecard of like management by objectives, um, mm-hmm. combined, combined with like the overall OKRs at the company and the management level. So there's a couple of areas I want to address. One is um, ability to deliver on projects uh, is the first piece. Um, part of that is which projects you should take on in the first place. So having a, a perspective, alignment by, on that yeah. on prioritization. Second is the capability to uh, execute said projects on time and under budget, Um, super powerful. Um, Now that's just a tactical executional piece. The third is a process driven. uh, So for example, for for marketing, you're gonna wanna have SLAs around campaign launches. Campaigns are either gonna be hopefully proactive, but many times they can be reactive, particularly in in paid marketing or performance marketing, whatever you want to call it, demand gen. Um, that is going to be reactive in nature because of how these you know, marketing platforms are. They're almost like stock trading in terms of driving your cost per lead down. Um, so one is being able to be a great partner around servicing both reactive and proactive campaigns. Um, and, and that's less, I guess, quantitative per se, but more qualitative, but yet quantitative at the same time because of how many campaigns were launched going through the process and met SLAs. Uh, would would be another metric that I would use. Um, so tactical execution, strategic partnership, uh, process driven. Um, and then you also want to invest in your people in terms of skill set. Um, the tooling today is quite complicated, right? So for folks with complicated lead routing rules, you're using tools like lean data, lean four, um, ring lead. I mean, there's a lot of different tools out there. You have to almost have a certification just for that one specific tool. Then you get to your maps, your marketing automation platforms. You have your Marketos, your Pardots of the world. They each have their own certifications. And a lot of companies, oftentimes, when the new CMO comes in, also makes a switch to a new tool, new set of tooling. So you want to have someone who can thoughtfully implement uh, new pieces of technology, not just working in the tools they know. Um, so overall KPIs, um, I would use a balanced scorecard around ability to deliver on projects. The uh, ability to work with and think through how to deliver campaigns through a great process. Uh, and then, three, having the skill set to execute in those particular technologies. Um, and it, that might need more so with SMBs and mid market firms. And maybe with enterprise, you can actually be a little bit more strategic um, around design um, and, and analysis around what ICPs and what conversion rates you're looking for, and then throw that over the fence to kind of a technology team. So it may be different depending on the situation you're looking for
0: got it got it no it's very helpful we're having some great questions on the side i think we uh, that could be a transition to it on um yeah we could maybe link as well on the how do we onboard uh like uh, a, a new team i think we especially in G- gtm teams it's pretty amazing i was looking at some of the data that we that, from linkedin And the tenure, like on the GTM side, it's like, you know, two years, two, three years max. Like it's pretty even rare to go beyond that. And it took me a while to realize that what that means is every year you have half of your team changing. So like if your CMO stays the same for this this year, you're lucky, right? Because probably next year is going to be a change. So there is a lot of change on the team. And as you mentioned, often with the change in the teams, often like is associated to a change in the stack. So one of the questions, for example, from uh, Sri Krishna is how do you go about building your marketing stack? Which tools can be built in-house versus bot? And maybe like in the context of the people around it, because the the stack is not something just technical. There is often a lot of thing of of, uh, perception, opinions, ideologies around stack. Uh, do you want to take that question on and and, and maybe bring a little bit of uh, your experience there?
1: So, when it comes to designing the marketing technology stack, I normally think about what capabilities do we need in house first, uh, regardless yeah. of regardless of what the vendor is or if it's built in house. Um, then we prioritize, you know, what's important in terms of those capabilities. Everyone's going to say everything is important, but it's not technically feasible just based on time, resources, capability. Um, so we start to prioritize, okay, what are the capabilities that we absolutely need? Um, and then when we think about building versus buying, um, both have pros and cons. Uh, buy, obviously you can plug and play with uh, obviously a lot of configuration. And then some tools are probably designed to have some obsolescence in your talk tech stack because you're probably going to you know, reactively move for a year or two and then make a switch over to something a little, sturdier um, and hopefully you have some volume that can drive some pricing that's going to be favorable to you um, in terms of building um, there are some things you build because you can do it really quickly it's 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 a it's a bandage on a situation or you just see something in the market uh, that you need that you can't find in the market um, so that's another reason why I personally will build um, but one of the caveats that I always you know am worried about when we're building is the amount of technical debt that we're incurring, because oftentimes when we're building, we're building really quickly. We may or may not document, and this is like a cardinal sin, that you're not documenting everything, but you're just trying to get something into production. Um, and then you, time goes by, and that knowledge gets lost over time, because like you said, 50% of people leave. So it's one of the things that I, I get worried about. I always pose the, the bus problem. What happens if you or you get hit by, by a bus? Will the business be able to move on? Sometimes when you build, the answer is no. Not necessarily at the spaghetti code and it's living in the basement. And you can't. You don't have the key to it. That's something I do worry about. But start with start with capabilities. What do you need? Then work within an envelope of your budget. Um, if it's going to be the easiest way to do it is a net net. You can always do a spend shift, right? Um, uh, or it's a spend shift tactic. And, you know, when you're trying to budget out as a salesperson, you can do the same thing internally. Or if you need an incremental budget, then I would go about and build a business case. And this is how you ask. So you start thinking about what's the ROI around a tool like this uh, and then essentially so talk, start talking about what future tools with subscription start and end dates are, are coming up that you could potentially leverage to pocket some of that money back. So that's, that's something that I will do personally.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, anything that you think nobody should build, like like you're, you're saying like, yeah, no, I will never build that because that's, yeah, that's, nowadays it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I, I wouldn't,
1: I would be worried because then I, 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 this answer would be stifling innovation. If you feel that you're going to build something and it's better than what's out there today, then please don't listen to Jeff Ignacio because I might, <laughs> I might be killing a billion dollar idea in its infancy.
0: Fair point. That's a political answer, but that <laughs> we'll take it. Um, understood. Understood. And, um,
1: well, I would say don't build something that's hmm. commoditized, maybe. Yeah, yeah. To start with, yeah, yeah.
0: And on, on the any, do you, do you feel like honestly there are there are a lot of products out there, and it's it's interesting to see how people can get. um I don't know, like uh, you know, it's more like religions. You're like, no, no, like I'm a marketer person. I'm a HubSpot, and often I think, as you said, like. Someone comes in, I don't think everyone like goes through that process of what are the needs? What are the gaps? You know, what are the solutions out there? And then we go like many times, I think solutions are not leveraged fully. People don't want to spend the time understanding what all those tools do. So you're like, hey, let's build something or let's buy something else. Right. Uh, how important it is you think to, uh, like, are there really some differences between like a sales loft or outreach or like a tool, or is it more about UX and, and how important is it for you on the upside to choose solutions that people like versus like really matching the, 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 the cards that you have a requirements?
1: So at the product level. I always, it depends on the industry, but there are some podium winners where you have your Pepsis and your Cokes and then everything else Mm. is some random generic cola. Um, But with those type of industries, um, or those type of players, you're typically going to see a little bit more parity in the the feature functionality. Um, And so the feature functionality is matched to a benefit, right? So if you think about a product matrix curve of what's my persona, what's my pain, what's my feature, and then the benefit, um, I always think about, you know, these are my pains these are the features, this is what's going to be met by that. Um, so generally, I'll think about it in terms of time to implement, time to configure, time to scale. Now, I might reach on the shelf for a platform that I know best because the time to execute in all three of those dimensions is much faster than me, you know, stack going on Stack Overflow, going on Google, Calling on my peers who are certified in those tools, and I'm not trying to figure it out. Um, you might say, "Well, I, I want to work till like 8 p.m., not 2 a.m. every single yeah. day for two months because i I'm figuring something out." Um, also, you might be a little bit more rigid because of the blocks of talent that you have in place. You have folks who are Salesforce certified. You may not, it might not be that wise to move to any CRM. Um, so, there's a couple of things. There's a switching cost that's 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 embedded in your org. Most people talk about barbs and hooks. Sometimes the people that you hire can technically be those barbs and hooks as well. But if they're open and flexible, you know, if you wanna say, well, if I'm gonna get a new tool, I'm gonna probably have to ask to get a budget to certify my t- my staff. So then as a leader, you say, well, I wanna make a switch, but I have good people here who don't necessarily have skill in the new tool. Let's go get them, a- let's go get a bucket of money and, and train these folks, mm. right? Um, I think any good technologist is not necessarily a technologist. They're a business problem solver, a tooling is just a tool. So if you, the, it doesn't matter, uh, what type of hammer you're using, especially in these areas where the feature functionality is, has great parity. Now, if, if there's a, there's a tremendous differentiation in feature functionality, then obviously I think that that's a, that's another scenario, right? Then you're, you're literally going to go with the categorical leader in that, in that case. Um, And you're definitely going to want to find talent or at least up level in your in-house staff as quickly as possible.
0: Uh, I I love that idea of also thinking of training because I've, you know, on the engineering world, I think you have a similar parallel where, you know, Mm -hmm. I have someone, for example, is like, no, it's Golang. You should have a Golang architecture. And like, what's the business problem we're trying to solve or what are the gaps? And it's like the the real thing is love Golang, have engineers who know Golang and, and, you know it's not about golang versus node.js and i think it feels similar where marketo eloqua hubspot at the end of the day like maybe it's because you're not used to hubspot and that's why not offer a certification with hubspot so that you can build a skill set on both on both uh, sides instead of switching uh, when when new teams come yeah come
1: together i love going on quora and there's a question what coding language is the best and literally, just get <laughs> well, that's a great threats.
0: That's a great bait. Like you get a lot of responses on that. Yeah. Um, understood. So what, what's the, the tools that everybody should use? That's the best uh, that you're saying, look, that is the best
1: map. For example, <laughs>
0: I'm being provocative.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've worked with Marketta, I've worked with Pardot. They both have their strengths. Um, uh, depends on, uh, again, in-house talent. Uh, to um, the cost-benefit ratio between the different tooling. Um, and obviously, the if you're going to switch, um, I, I think the, the issue is going to be how long it's going to take to migrate over. So I don't think any business can operate without some sort of CRM uh, today. Um, and marketing automation, if you're product-led or you're marketing-led, um, you can get away with a the map. Um, there are, for those who make a living off of the customer, after they've become the initial sale, um, you know, customer marketing, ABM tactics, um, incredibly important to, to derive new product sales, um, maybe new departments depending on your, your, your product or service. Um, I, I find the sales engagement platform category, you know, the sales loss outreaches of the world, um, almost becoming miniature CRMs themselves mm-hmm. now. That is true, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can literally, you know, if you just remove Salesforce from the equation or HubSpot from the equation, and you bolt on something else, um, they're they're this close. They're this close to doing that because they're they're at the communication layer, and they know a heck of a lot more about the actual sales motion um, in terms of like talk tracks. Uh, in terms in terms of yeah, actually, they, they can transcribe a lot of calls these days. Uh, uh, I think with some of the solutions, so they can see exactly what's happening. At that front of the funnel, they can also see what's happening in the middle of the funnel, and it's just connecting the dots between accounts, contacts, and you know, companies, people, and like economic opportunities. Then they're not that far off. Um, so I don't. I think CRM is indispensable today. Um, I think what it will be a CRM in the future um, could drastically change, and I think there's encroachment on what we t- classically see a CRM, um, and then a marketing automation platform, super important. Um, obviously, you're going to need your seed to seed your database. With initial data or you're going to have to enrich the existing data um i think a lot of folks will use uh, some sort of enrichment platform um i think any business that's serious about turning from a start to scale up is going to have to invest in something like that uh there are a lot of options out there from your kind of
0: yeah what do you use at upkeep uh we use zoom info Info, yeah did you evaluate a lot of other solutions or you went straight to okay that's good enough and let's go
1: uh, we had, we had, we evaluated four solutions. We had a solution in place that we overlapped. So we had a double enrichment for, for quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, pretty common, right? Yeah. To just like keep them uh, overlapping for a while. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Pretty common. The issue is your data dictionary gets all kind of, uh, it gets weird because now you have, you know, industries, but there's variations on they the syntax. Map exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Got it. Got it. No, that's, uh, yeah, and the topic on the future of CRM, that's, uh... That should be a full session. I think we could look at the Twilio side, like kind of, you know, building the different blocks. There is like now the conversational CRM, I think Drift is also playing in that space where you own the conversation. It's almost more important than Salesforce. Uh, yeah, a lot of lot of uh, conversation. Let's go, so if we talk about tech stack, you mentioned PLG, you have uh, a data warehouse, you have like, actu- you have actually an ETL flow, you actually build yourself the reverse ETL as well. I mean, you use product like Census uh can you tell more i guess uh about maybe the stack that you have right now at upkeep why that stack and um something that's interesting as well in the the conversation we've had is we we've talked about how almost every business is now have to support almost multiple like engines in the company like the inbound engine the plg engine the abm engine the outbound engine the partner engine i mean it's it's an all of that ops have to deal with. And then you have the full life cycle, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, and then you
1: know, the CS side,
0: um, how is it organized at Upkeep and why that stack?
1: So our product database is probably no different from a lot of other companies. We're trying to figure it out. It's, You know, you have, you have these customers out there who either come in through a free trial um, and you know, there's a whole concept of PQL today as opposed to MQL. Um, the product qualified lead is, you know, how did product essentially tip the interest of that prospect to seriously consider you and then move to you know, high intent, um, if you're thinking about the kind of the buyer's awareness journey. And so the idea of taking that product data, uh, which typically is going to live in some sort of production database, uh, you're going to want to have some thinking around how do you safeguard that production data, uh, typically you live off of a mirror of some sort. Then. From there, you're gonna to need to get that data and align it and join it to your your go-to-market systems, right? Your go-to-market engine. Typically, it's gonna be your CRM, and 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 sometimes these keys, these identifiers, they're not necessarily the same. So you have to come up with some sort of...
0: never, right? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to come up with a tactical fix for how that's going to to, to, to be, right? So um, so what we use is uh, a data lake strategy, where we've taken um, a mirror of our database and a separate data lake storage. And we've ETL- What's data like?
0: like is it a Redshift or like a Snowflake? Uh, we're Dequery. using
1: uh, Google Cloud.
0: Google Cloud? BigQuery, okay. yeah. yeah.
1: Yep, so our Salesforce data shuttles back and forth um, in one direction versus another using Fivetran or Census. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, years ago, I, we were talking about this before this started, You know, I, I built this myself in Python files, on cron jobs, on a separate server. Right, and then and then putting it into a, a different storage layer. Um, nowadays, you can just get, you know, a little bit of moderate, modest level of funding, and get these tools to basically ferry the data back and forth. There are some things you just can't do that well in Salesforce itself, like aggregations and joins across multiple objects and time series analyses. Typically, you're going to dump them all out. Yeah. Exactly, you're going to dump those all out into a BI layer with a data visualization tool um, and maybe even embed them back into Salesforce if your folks tend to live in Salesforce. Um, But you know, our product usage metrics today are are used uh, and joined through that data structure that we've set. Um, And that skill set is a little different than your typical sales ops administrator. And I think we're going to see this more and more folks are going to invest in having, you know, SQL skill set, really understanding, you know, BI metrics and how to do them in terms of, you know, um, embedded metrics on the reporting, whether it's Tableau or Looker. Um, so, whatever your technology setup is, I, you know, I think the old la- layer of thinking is have a separate data ops and data engineering team. I'm actually seeing a lot more folks embed the two teams together into yes. a RevOps ops mm-hmm. business ops, or RevOps data ops um, set. Um, and, and I think they're 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 hugely important because if you have data engineering and data ops, they may not have level of comfort and familiarity with the different filters that you're using for all the different reporting you're doing on the go- to market side but yet on the business side with your you know marketing ops and your sales ops or your rev ops they may not have the data ops chops that they' that you need as well so somewhere in between this is this amalgamation this middle ground that needs to, to happen and I, I do see that it's probably the next layer once we've kind of chomped through this whole rev ops revolution that a lot of folks are going through
0: yeah. Yeah. And you, uh, like the, the need for the data warehouse, is it specifically because you had a PLG motion, like you had, as you said, like product engagement data tends to be in that, uh, product database. And then you wanted to have a replica, like somewhere that you can query. And then you have like, you build your aggregation, send that back to, are you sending back to Salesforce or to your map?
1: We're sending, uh, to two places. We're sending directly to Salesforce and to our support. Uh, which is intercom. Mm -hmm. And then we make sure that we set up our fields are one for one between Pardot and Salesforce. And the data flows to Pardot via Salesforce.
0: Got it, got it. And that's for the, like the PLG motion, like, can you describe maybe some of the motions that you have at Upkeep? to give context, I think, so that you know, uh, yeah. either folks who don't have a PLG motion and thinking about creating one get a sense of what that looks like, but also how do you make all those pieces fit together?
1: So I don't think anybody on this call is looking for manufacturing maintenance software, uh, but if you are, you can go on our website, Upkeep, and you can sign up for a demo or you can sign up for a free trial. When you sign up for a free trial, you actually have access to our, our highest tier, our highest level of our plan. Um, we get all of our features for seven days, after that seven days, we're going to hopefully extract as much value. And I think we do a very good job of that uh, for you to think about going to a paid plan with us. Um, Now you can convert on your own or you can reach and speak to a salesperson. Now think about that for a second, right? So the product led growth, you came through a free trial, you can either self-serve and purchase our product, your paid customer without sales assist or, you know, without sales touch. But if you need a sales touch, then product was actually the contributing source to the pipeline so it's a pql at that moment sales engages with that lead and moves them hopefully into a qualified funnel based on some qualification and discovery now the best thing about product led growth is that you know these folks are qualified because they're using your product and they're hopefully you you have insights to what features what benefit what benefit they're deriving from their usage and that's very different from you know a an SDR going and qualifying a lead and asking them all sort of persona, technographic, and demographic-based questions, and instead, you've you've already moved the marker uh, because they're already in your product. Now it's about extracting maximum value, and ROI attached to it, and then charging for a percentage of that ROI if you're on value-based pricing. Um, so some of the motions that we have the free trial product like growth. We do a lot of performance marketing. If you go on Google, um, you'll probably find our ads if, you, if you're using any of our our keywords that we that we that we um, that we bid on. Um, and then our sales led um, outbound and then our expansion really selling into the customer base. So um, the customer segmentation that we sell into, we perform really well at SMB and mid-market. And we do have a lot of enterprise customers as well. But uh, the lion's share of our customer base is still at those first two.
0: That makes sense. So you, you, so if if I, I don't know, I use maybe different words. You have the, uh, the PLG motion, like the uh, product led motion. That's, uh, you mentioned product trials, product signups. You have an inbound motion, I guess, on the hand raisers, like demo request. You have also an outbound motion uh, on top of that, and maybe more geared towards the enterprise. Um, is that linked to the 3C model that that you mentioned before? Like, oh, are yeah. the so, 3Cs, yeah. yeah. And maybe yeah, you so want to share with, with the team,
1: yeah, what, what, what is this 3C model?
0: Like, yeah. always the four Ps, the five Ws, and then the 3Cs. Yeah, 3Cs is
1: something I came up with because it, it fits very perfectly around mm-hmm. annual planning. So first is um, S, segmentation, and then you add on three Cs. So once you've segmented your data, whether it's your TAM, SAM, or SOM, um, around your market segment, then you wanna create coverage. Coverage meaning, you know, how are you gonna go to market around this? So it's inbound, outbound, partner, um, and and partners in direct sales, but inbound, outbound, uh, and then building, hopefully, your referral engine. Then you wanna create um, capacity modeling, meaning, you know, how many heads, um, what are my marketing development funds? Um, what What is the appropriate level of training that I need to do for my indirect sales force? Um, and then depending on your channel model as well, you're really gonna think about uh, deal registrations or if they're gonna do um, um, you know, th- direct selling and they own the customer relationship depending on your indirect motion. Uh, and then the last one is, um, co- is capability. So how do we increase capability through enablement, through great process? Um, and so once you have segmentation, you have coverage,
0: capacity capability got it and it's really like the to avoid a mistake of not having the alignment on you have a given customer one kind of coverage we want to give like sometimes I've seen I have sad stories where we have some fantastic marketers uh, that have been asked to generate you no know, leads They generate all those leads as expected within the CAC with a budget to so hit all the metrics that they've been given But for example, the leads that they brought were more sales of leads and the sales team is starving from real like, you know, ACV that are good enough. So it's basically like bringing the wrong coverage to a certain segment of market. So you're saying first start with the, the target market you have, break it down into what type of customers they are. And then you have, you need to figure out the coverage first. Make sure you have the capability for that coverage, and then the, the, the capacities, and then the capabilities to actually enable that capacity. Is it uh, something you've been working with the exec? like? Is it like literally you go, you have a spreadsheet, and that's what you share?
1: So the spreadsheet, and the modeling the spreadsheet is still the best place to do a lot of modeling.
0: Yeah, uh, for many things. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so you're gonna, so your spreadsheet is going to be the container. And it's going to be the editing layer. Uh, but typically, if you want to communicate the message, the value, you're probably going to be better served putting it into a, a presentation. Now, before the spreadsheet is the data and the insights, some folks will do the data and the insi- ana- anal- analysis inside of the spreadsheet itself, or they'll go upstream into pulling, downloading reports, or they'll do it directly into a SQL editor uh, because they can get a, a level of granularity and aggregation you just can't get that quickly in a spreadsheet. Um, I tend to use Google Sheets as opposed to Excel um, just because of the computational power of the cloud um, and also custom editing functions and just I know Apps Script a lot better than VBA. Um, so then other folks, um, you know, when you're, when you're building out these segmentation in three Cs, uh, it's an exercise in thinking through the strategy. So right off the cuff, a lot of folks can quickly say, based on their experience, you know, we have to have outbound or we have to have inbound Inbound is going to work for our lower ASEV, or it's going to be it's going to be a beachhead with lower level titles for our outbound because our outbound typically is going to have a is going to have a more expensive, uh, a higher customer acquisition cost. So in order to make that up, to have a better. You need to make sure the LTV is
0: higher, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. we
1: have to go up market. It's a harder skill set. And then from there. But if you do have inbound, you're not going to get the CEO coming inbound. You're not going to get the CTO. You're going to get technology manager or specialist. And so now your selling motion is very different. You have to do an educational sell, work your way up building champions and evangelizers, depending on what your sales methodology and your, your nomenclature is around it. But it's the same thing. It's move the way up through the organization to move beyond the folks who would win something on the technical side to the folks who want to win something uh, from some sort of business outcome. And that's what the quickest way and the easiest way to connect the dots between. Your uh, your sell to a budget, and then typically, if you're selling too low, the budget you're asking for is a spend shift, as opposed to an accretive budget, which is ultimately what you want.
0: And that, that segmentation um, you mentioned, like SQL, like how yeah, how do you are you doing it today? Uh, are you creating this uh, like segmentation coverage on your own first, and then you 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 show it and you get feedback? Is it more of a collaborative process with the team? Like how do you get that alignment? Because I think often like what we find is the technology is is the the second problem. The first problem is alignment with the right people in the room.
1: Uh, The first thing is start off with your stakeholders and address the business problem, what problem or problems Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are we solving for? Because I can run analysis all day long, but if I'm doing analysis, trying to find answers to the wrong problem. Um, then I'm just wasting time So always start with a problem, clarifying what problems you're solving for. Now, if you want to take a page out of McKinsey or whatever, mutually exclusive, completely exhaustive, you want to be a MISI, um, start breaking out all the different sub questions that you're so
0: going to just maybe for the team. It's not a mice. It's a mutually, uh, mutually exhaustive, collectively exhaust, uh, inclusive or something like that. Right. So it has to be blogs that fits well together. Yeah. Mutually yeah.
1: exclusive, completely exhaustive. Right. Uh-huh. Like, like just a simple example, you want to increase revenue. Great, great. How do we do that? Okay, well, increase price, increase quantity, go to new markets, change products. Oh, we going to increase profitability. Okay, we'll sell our high-margin products, or you know, there's a. You can start to build out these boxes from there. Um, we do the same thing with the problems problems we're trying to uh, solve for. Um, and then once I have a clear set problem set that I'm looking at, then it's about okay, what are the particularities that I need to be careful and nuances that I'm studying um, in order to support. Uh, support any conclusions for these theses. So I'll come in with a thesis. Um, I'll probably have some business intuition that might align with my stakeholders. They might already have the answer in their head. The data just doesn't validate it yet because we haven't brought the data to, to, to the table. Um, but for the most part, you want to make sure that you don't start solving with mining the data right away and looking for something that may or may not be there. Um, have a clear cut set of what you're trying to solve for.
0: Yeah, it's always it's basic, but it's so hard to do. I think that narr you mentioned narrative. Uh, that's also I think one of the thing I've been working with some of our customers, and I tried also to work uh, internally. Is can you put a good narrative together? And I know the hour is going super fast, so we'll uh, we'll uh, uh, wrap up uh, shortly. But you also write a lot. And by the way, there are if you have more questions, team, uh, feel free to uh, share them in the chat. Maybe, yes let's do a quick q a now and uh and maybe asking you like one what is one piece of advice that you would have given your younger self you know the, the traditional ones uh but let's go first on the q a there is a question on uh yes you as revops that's a sexy category sexy job now that's cool like when yeah it, it didn't used to be so cool but uh rev is sexy there are a lot of new tools and products. A lot of people reach out to you, uh, I'm sure, like to, to sell you the, the next new things that, that's going to help uh, your team and, and reach goals. What's your evaluation process? Uh, how do you evaluate tools quickly?
1: That's a great question. Uh, first of all, my inbox is atrocious at the moment, uh, especially on LinkedIn. But um, first, with capabilities, what do we need? What do we need technology for or process for? Um, then I'll go through a process with, okay, here's here's all of our technology or processes that didn't have those capabilities. Um, I may or may not be looking for something, um, but first you have to know, you know all the capabilities that you probably sh- should have as an organization based on your maturity. Um, then from there, um, I will start an early process before renewals around what do we do? Do we replace our current mm-hmm. set of vendors? Do we bring in an evaluation just because we should we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't do that we wouldn't be protecting the company's capital by not driving a better bargain uh, or making a whole switch to something even better uh, now all of my vendors probably hate hearing this but you know it's just it's just doing my job yeah. Um, yeah. the second part is um, the vendor evaluation process uh, that we run is um, we design requirements first and what we need um, we design deal breakers things that you know if they can't do this, uh, we, we break up right away and say thank you for no, thank you. Um, keep in touch. Um, so one, uh, it's you know what are the, uh, what's our requirements? what do we need? Um, detail those out. So oh, Always your...
0: question number one. yeah, you've been re- saying that a few times, but I think it's key to remind ourselves every time. Yeah,
1: Exactly. So have your requirements uh, to um, work through your uh, work through your deal breakers. And then three, um, understand implementation and what resources are needed. Um, because sometimes you might find a solution and it's an eight week implementation and you immediately think, crap, we can't do that. There's just no way we're gonna do an eight week implementation. Unless we extend our current contract to 15 months and we we, we buy ourselves a little bit more time um, to, 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 to land the plane. Um, then the fourth thing is gonna be trying to have a budget in mind. Um, let's be real, everyone has a number in their head. Um, no one's and going to go in with a blank check as a buyer. So um, have that in mind.
0: That's sweet. Look, we are top of the hour already. That went fast. What's one piece of advice for our fellow uh, ops leaders and, 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 and practitioners?
1: I think the number one thing is learning to prioritize your time and be very protective of it. Um, right. Because if you try to say yes to everything, I, I can guarantee you that you will put yourself in a position that is more harmful than helpful. And the business absolutely needs, you know, X operations, revenue operations to be successful.
0: Yep, yep, that's, uh, that lands well. Um, let's see. So, uh if you look at the chat you'll see uh how to learn more from jeff uh, i strongly recommend like his podcast uh, he's on spotify and other venues you have a link uh in the chat feel free also to continue the conversation uh i think like that that's a start so reach out to jeff reach out to us uh that's you know we i think we all love to nerd and, and share notes uh on, on those topics uh and thank you so much jeff for for joining today
1: appreciate you having me on
0: sweet that's uh yeah that's a really great chat and next week uh just before we we finish we have sarah mcnamara from slack so that's going to be a great chat as well um feel free to join i think if you haven't registered register and then we'll follow up from there thanks for joining today and awesome session jeff have a good one thank you